The title for tonight's talk is Interdependence. And I was just asking to myself, it's really uh, rather curious that I should be talking about interdependence after just taking a walk around this building, going to the various groups of children. And the place is teeming with interdependence, really teeming with friendship, with connectedness, which, which embraces too some moments of anger and unfriendliness, sure. All, all within this sphere of friendliness, of friendship. And so what is there to be said about interdependence that is not directly obvious? Well, if I'm speaking is perhaps because I think there is something to be said I think sometimes when one is in the midst of things, perhaps it's difficult to see certain aspects of what goes on. And um, what I say certainly is not from any voice of authority except the authority that you may give to what I say because it seems to fit, because it seems to click. I was uh, reminded by somebody quite wisely this morning that in fact some of the things I say I say and we say I suppose uh, go against the grain of common sense that's uh, perhaps true perhaps sometimes we need to look a little deeper behind common sense behind the surface of things and that's really the, the probe I want to do together with you Uh, I could also have called this talk, instead of interdependence, interbeing. As some of you may know, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, a very important teacher, has used that word to mean the being together in connectedness. I found not long ago that there exists a, a Zulu word. I don't know any other word in Zulu but that one. Ubuntu. And the translation is fascinating to me. It's like this. I am because we are. We are because I am. And in fact, uh, a Buddhist philosopher, Nagarjuna, a third century Indian, has said something very similar. He said, without one, there are not many. Without many, one is not possible. I, I, I find the comparison fascinating. Let, let me just repeat them one, one other time. The Ubuntu means, I am because we are. Nagarjuna says, without many, one is not possible. Ubuntu, the Zulu word, says, we are because I am. Nagarjuna says, without when there are not many. Now, don't be afraid. Uh, this is not a springboard for a philosophical investigation. Quite the opposite. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in, in direct experience of things. And, and neither 
is this. Uh, an advance of romantic and sentimentality, feel-good notions about oneness and being together. That, that's fine. That's fine. But, but it's not the essence I want to explore. I really want to embark with you on some kind of inquiry, which, which in a way takes off from, the, from my talk this morning. It takes off from our tendency to live in a self-centered world. As I relate to the world, I tend to see it, as I said this morning, as if everything hinges around me. It, it's a natural, habitual way of looking at things. And it's, it's, it's not a question of just denying it. More important than denying it, one could argue this is not logical, it's, it's just to acknowledge that that's the way we tend to see things. That tends to be the prism through which we see many things. And if, if, we need a, if, if we were to need any evidence of that, just, just watch in the sittings, in the walkings. We're not doing walking here, but you do in other retreats. In the sittings particularly. That relentless inner dialogue that's so often around I. It's so often obsessively trying to fix myself. Trying to put me in center stage. Trying to develop what I like to call the ego project. And to put it a little bluntly, a little uh, as a caricature if I may, just to get the point across clearly. It is as if we live life as if it were a theatrical production. Soap opera, if you wish, whatever your favorite uh, gender is. Maybe a tragedy, a melodrama, a comedy, whatever. But it is scripted by each one of us in a certain way so that we can have the commanding role. And it doesn't matter whether this role is the role of heroes, heroines, the role of, of victims. That's besides the point. The point is that we want to be central. And of course, my play is not the same as the play that each one of you has developed. And sometimes, in, within a family, each one has a, a different sort of script that doesn't fit that well, as I was saying this morning, with the script of others. People refuse to play it our way. 
they have their own way. And, and the scripts start to compete. Children, of course, are very good at that. And in fact, the discussions in the uh, morning group are quite illuminating in that respect. How indeed the script of a child may be felt to be completely unacceptable by the parents. Unacceptable. And of course, vice versa. And and in this scripting, to use to continue with this analogy, when we are very, very much engulfed, very much t- taken up by the need to put our script into effect, it becomes very difficult to be open to any suggestion from others. And that makes communication very, very difficult. And that includes our scripts about how children have to be educated. Of course, it's important to to make good judgments about that. But just to be able to distinguish between those judgments, appropriate, hopefully, appropriate judgments that we make as to what's appropriate for a child to do, what's inappropriate for the child to do, and the needs, the inner needs, the inner compulsion we have to fulfill our script. To treat our child different from what we were treated when we were children, for instance. Just to watch that. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to become aware of what we are doing with our lives. What are the forces that move us through our lives? And to become very aware of what I call the ego project. Not to let that particular project be our directing instrument, our our tool to decide what's right and what's wrong. In, in family situations, of course, there are two major protagonists, inevitably, two parents, when there are two parents, of course, in the house, and um, they are likely to have different scripts, and that is another source of tensions. And sometimes, one of the parents will choose to give up, to to put aside his or her script because it's simpler to let the other's script be the prevalent one. This doesn't solve anything in so far as the getting rid of the ego project. Maybe it's somebody else's ego project. Still, a project that is guided 
by needs of separation rather than by, need, by wisdom. Because the, the, the major thing that defines an ego project is precisely that it's a project of separation. In some instances, is me versus the world. And I have to distinguish myself. I have to adopt a role, to, to have a, a distance from others, and I see myself here and the others there. In other cases, it, it can be us versus others. My family versus all the other families. Sometimes it's even wider. There's my group of friends, or whatever, versus others. People of this belief versus people of that belief. My culture with other cultures. Still, it's an ego project at work. In a dramatic manifestation of that, a little in the extreme side, I remember living in New York City on the west side around Christopher Street for a while. And in one of the piers that jut into the Hudson River there, every day, shortly before lunch, there was a man who went there and talked to himself, and he went there with an American flag, and wrapped himself in that American flag. And he was making patriotic statements. I never hanged around long enough to hear what he said. He was saying them to the river, perhaps. That was his identity. So this is this need to create an identity around who we are that we can get carried away with. Just as this, what I'm calling now the ego project, can work at, in a separating way between myself and the world, it also does the same thing within myself. After all, I'm a complex being as each one of us is. There are many sides of me. Inevitably. And, and yet, the project thrives at seeing myself in a particular image. Whatever that image is, this is the way I am. I am like this, I am like that, in fact I am this. I'm that. I like uh, this type of marmalade. I hate that other type of marmalade. Children use this very, very early to establish their identity. And grown-ups will carry that too. I, I can tell you some of the things I like and don't like. But we, we, we end up believing that this is anything about who we are, about the complexity of who we are. That rich tapestry of each one of us gets lost because we pick what aspect of that 
and we make it into who we are. It wouldn't be worthwhile talking about all this if there wasn't if there weren't a, a tool to examine this clearly and directly in the case of each one of us. And that tool available to all of us here is sitting. Is is the practice. The practice sometimes, often enough, in a very quiet situation. In, in a hall like this, sometimes in, in a corner in our house, in our room, and to, to see what happens when we sit. Of course, instructions say very clearly, be with the breath. And there are times when this is very simple. We just are with the breath, we are with being, and we are in a in a sea of peace, if you were, if you, as it were. But that's not the more common thing. The more common thing is that we sit, we are determined to be with the breath, and after three breaths, if we are lucky, the mind takes off somewhere. And, and the sittings are very useful too, to throw light on where does the mind go? What is really the mind obsessing about? Sometimes the obsessions are about not being there. Just all, all that counts. Just not being there. I don't want to do this. I don't want to see. That's an important finding. Other times, the trip of the mind is at constructing this I, at, at feeding onto the I project at creating more tapes, more videos for the library of the I project. Sometimes there are lots of reruns, incredible reruns. Those, those things in that library that, that we seem to be so gratified with. Other times the job is one of editing. We had a conversation with somebody and, uh, and somehow the image of ourselves wasn't uh, as we wanted it to come out. And so we sit there and we go over this tape and we take that out and change a sentence here, a comma there, and wow, it comes out all right. It comes out really good. And... and Look, I mean, why am I talking about this? I've been, I've I, I gone through all that. It's not that it's not, you know, <laughs> I'm putting this onto somebody else. I'm putting that onto myself, too. In fact, I've learned tons from just watching and the incredible stupidity, I would say, of, of, of this mind. That makes me believe I'm, I'm that. And that throws away all the rest of me. Sometimes I believe in a certain way and everything else, my body, my mind, etc., tells me otherwise. You know, 
this is, for instance, very common in romantic situations where we are with another person that's very attractive to us, and 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 the body says no, 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 and the and and this very deep feelings no, no, no. But this person happens to have fallen within the framework of a body project, of an ego project. You know, but for instance, is somebody who every time that there's any doubt about ourselves, this person reassures us. Very reassuring. Very supporting, in a way. And, and of course, ego is delighted as an audience. Fantastic. Without going into details. So, In talking about this, I really have to put a footnote here. It's not to add another video to the ego project. Now this video is going to be a nice video saying interbeing, the Ubuntu, the interdependence, and I am interdependent. I am into this. I'm a great meditator, whatever. Just, just to examine. And in fact, this talk is an invitation, perhaps a bit blunt, perhaps a bit unsophisticated, uh, but it's an invitation to drop all this effort to fabricate a self, to fashion a self, and of course, with fashioning that self to fashioning the self of the other people who are around us and who we have to bring into that project. That project cannot be done just by one person. So the invitation is, forget it. Forget it. Look instead in the nature of existence and see all the richness that's there. When we do that, When we do that, without censoring anything, I mean, it's not a question of censoring the ego project or whatever you call it. It's not a censor, a question of censoring every time the I comes up, says, ah, ah, you're not supposed to show up. No, no, it's a question of seeing the I coming up and noticing whether this serves us right or serves us wrong. And if we discover ourselves that this serves us wrong, then Instead of fueling the project, just dropping our support from the project. Seeing, seeing all the suffering that comes from that. And, and inevitably, the longer you sit, the longer this identification with image will lose its fascination, will lose its allure. We will get tired of the games of I, me, mine. Only then, only when we do that, only when we say, okay, I'm not going to keep doing this. Let, let, let me look around. Only then can we really 
begin to understand interdependence. Because interdependence depends, is based on no solid I. There's a little passage here I have copied from uh, a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, which um, uh, paraphrases the words of the Buddha. Gives a, 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 it's a biography of the Buddha which uh, has the Buddha speaking in very simple language, more contemporary language, but certainly faithful translation of what the Buddha meant. And the Buddha is having a dialogue with Kasapa. And um, Kasapa says, says to the Buddha, Yesterday you said that the presence of a leaf result, resulted from the coming together of many different conditions. You said that humans, too, exist only because of the coming together of many other conditions. But when all these conditions cease to be, where does the self go? And the Buddha answers, You should know, friend Kasapa, that all things exist because of interdependence, and all things cease to be because of interdependence. This is because that is. This is not because that is not. This is born because that is born. This dies because before, sorry, because that dies. This is a wonderful law of dependent arising which I have discovered in my meditation. In truth, there is nothing which is separate and eternal. There is no self, whether a higher or lower self. Meaning, I, I have to paragraph, paraphrase now a little bit, I'll explain. Meaning that there is no solid self. No, no self that doesn't change. Kasapa, have you ever meditated on your body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness? A person is made up of these five aggregates. They are continuously changing rivers in which one cannot find even a permanent element. The Buddha, in fact, has in many places talked about us, each one of us, himself, as a package. As a pack package composed of five aggregates. Candas in Pali. In fact, the word kanda, from as I read somewhere, I can't remember where, came from the fact that the Buddha is supposed to have made little piles of seeds, five piles of seeds, in fact, to represent the five aggregates. And apparently that Pali word fitted the description of these piles of seeds. And as the text just said, the five aggregates are our body, our feelings, perceptions, mental formations, over times translated as volitions, and consciousness. Are, and all these aggregates of ourselves 
elements of the package that's you, that's you, that's me, that's any of us interact with each other and with the world in a constant flow. We're not the same every moment. We, we change. And there are moments of profound transformation. And there are moments where transformations take place and we don't even notice. And I'm, of course, it's transformations due to age, obvious. that's obvious, it's evident. Sometimes we try to stop even that by plastic surgery or by, you know, dyeing our hair, whatever. We, there's a tendency to stop change and make ourselves frozen in time, feel secure. So, here is, is, is an invitation not to do that. invitation to once and for all give up putting masks on ourselves, masks of identities and, and even putting masks on others or forcing others to adopt certain identities so they can interact nicely with us and just to be free that's what being free means Drop that project. So, to drop that project for us inside and to... How do we drop that project outside? A, a, A very essential thing is to to forget, to, to really do our way with that line that we draw between me and you. The line in the sand, really. There's no, not much basis to separate me from you, you from you. Of course, there's separate bodies, but a person is, is much more than just that. Our, our minds are, are constantly interacting. The words I'm saying here, I heard them somewhere else, and 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 you know they go from, from from me to you, and there'll be other words coming back from you to me. Um, and and our hearts. Just look look at all the 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 the, the moments of, of coming together of our hearts that have been, that have occurred in just two days. Of the hearts of the people in this room, with the children, with the children, with with other children, not just with, with the children of each one of you. Intimacy with us, with ourselves, and intimacy with others go hand in hand. Stephen Batchelor had a nice little piece in Inquiring Mind not long ago. And he talks about the Mahayana. Mahayana is a, is a Buddhist tradition. See. The Mahayana concept of anatta means separate self. The Mahayana concept, sorry, no separate self. 
Anatta. The Mahayana, sorry, the Mahayana take the concept of Anatta and extend it to the development of compassion for all things. Since there really is no separation between self and other, an image that conveys this most beautiful is Shantideva's, is a Tibetan um, teacher, uh, is Shantideva's concept of the entire body world, sorry, ooh, I can't read. Shantideva's concept of the entire, entire world being comparable to a single organism, a body. He says that just as when the foot is in pain, the hand will spontaneously reach out to a sewage to mitigate the pain of the foot. In, in the same way, if you are no longer inhibited by self-centeredness, you will spontaneously reach out to assuage the pain of others. That metaphor beautifully conveys a central insight of Mahayana Buddhism. Once a self is seen through, it does not just mean liberation, but also that your spontaneous response to others becomes, becomes that of a profound empathy. And this practice of connecting with others is as old as the world. It really is. You, 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 without going to the details, but you may have heard of what's called the Gaia hypothesis, which is the, the discovery that, in fact, all organisms in the world, world seem to have come together to guarantee that we have an atmosphere that we can live in. And the atmosphere of the earth could not have been maintained as it was maintained without this unexplained so far harmony in our rates of respiration and, and other chemical processes that I don't want to go into. And everything has gone very well and, and until, as you perhaps suspect, about 50 years ago or so, when, when we starting, started overdoing, in fact, uh, uh, Marcia's reading of a story today from a book, I think it was called uh, Small is Enough or something like that. Uh, showing the the insanity of overstraining the resources of the world. Until we came around, nobody had done that in the country. The balance had been kept beautifully. And the, wor the world of Gaia also reveals something very, very important. Namely, that we belong. That we belong here. At least if, you, if we behave in a harmonious way. Otherwise we won't have any, any, anything to belong to. We'll be gone. We belong here. See, 
much of this ego project is, is it's not that there's something bad about us. We're just frightened. We're just desperate. We feel isolated, particularly in this culture today, except for pockets like this, when there's connection and, and support. We, we feel that we have to fend for ourselves. And of course, we, we create a self to fend for us. But if we can understand that we belong in the context of, of connectedness, in the context of morality, of what in, in the Pali language is called sila, then we don't have to hang on to that crazy project of me first. Another book that Marcia read today. Because we don't have to go any further. We are here already. And in in that spirit, let me finish with a poem by Mary Oliver, which is called Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal, animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep rivers, sorry, and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination. I'll repeat that. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers, it offers itself to your imagination. Calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting. Over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Let's sit in silence for a moment, please. <laughs> 